0: Welcome to the Bethel Christian Church message of the week. This week and the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about old-time religion. So who knows what that means? Nope? Okay. Oh, we got some. Okay. So we kind of took it back. Amen. We took it back this morning. We sang some great old hymns. I grew up singing hymns. I told this story earlier in the first service, but... My mom's here. She could attest to this. But when we came to know the Lord, we started going to church with like this group of Italian families. And so our hymnal, the book that we learned how to sing these songs, was actually an English-Italian hymnal. So on one side of the page, the song was in English, and on the other side of the page, it was in Italian. And what I came to learn very quickly is just because you know how to sing a song in one language does not mean you know how to sing it in another language. So like some of these songs, Al Fly Away in particular, was one of my favorites growing up. Um, and so it's very fitting that we sang some of those classic hymns this morning. So I don't know what comes to your mind when I say old time religion, it may bring you back to a time and if this is something that you remember uh, where there's the the idea and the, the place of old tent meeting revivals outside, that may be what comes to mind is when you go to those tent revivals outside and they were like these amazing empowering services, that may be what you think of. Or you may think of a time when it was just normal that every kid went to Sunday school. Like that was kind of the norm and that was old time religion to you. Or maybe, and I don't know so much that it's fitting for this crowd, but I won't pass judgment. Maybe you think of a song in the tune of Johnny Cash or Dolly Parton, and there's no no judgment here. I actually like the both of them, but it's like that kind of like hand clapping, knee stomping, like that kind of thing. And now some of you are thinking like, I am in the wrong place this morning. Why am I here? I'm not into this old-time religion stuff. Wherever you find yourself today, I got a message for you. So don't you worry. What we're really going to do is in these coming weeks where we're talking about old-time religion is we're going to kind of peel back the curtain. We're going to strip away all the bells and whistles. And instead, we're just going to focus on the fundamentals of our Christian faith. And specifically, we're going to look at a portion in Scripture in the book of Matthew where Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be specifically talking today about forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll also have the text on the screen so you could follow along. But would you join me in prayer this morning as we open up? Heavenly Father, we want to be... Uh, We wanna hear your word today and we want it to have impact on our lives. We didn't come here just because it's what we do, but Lord, we came here to have a meeting with you and with the people of God, so would you help me today to deliver your message completely uninhindered. Lord, we believe in the power of your word. We believe the power in your written word and your spoken word. So God, would you accomplish today what needs to be accomplished? And for everyone that's hearing my voice today, whether they're here in person or they're watching on the live stream, I pray Lord God that you would bless them through this word, that you would accomplish your will in them through this word and God that ultimately that your name would be honored. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Okay. So forgiveness, you know, I hope you would agree with me, but forgiveness, the concept of excusing someone, even though they've insulted you, uh, despite their shortcomings and errors, in spite of all those things that you decide to, uh, forgive those things, that is really a fundamental aspect of our Christian faith that the Lord speaks about. The Christian faith, really, when it comes down to it, like the faith of Christianity really comes down to forgiveness anyway, right? Where we have the ability to have a fellowship with God our Father because of the fact that Jesus died for us, giving us an opportunity to be completely forgiven from the sins that stained us and separated us from God. Forgiveness is really at the cornerstone of our Christian faith. But even beyond our own personal experience of salvation, I hope you would agree with me that forgiveness is or should be the hallmark of our character, right? That it's something that should be easily identifiable in our life. You know, we talk about forgiveness often. We pray and ask for forgiveness often. But the truth is that sometimes forgiveness can be very counterintuitive and difficult to do, especially in this day and age that we live in today. And I don't think anyone would argue with me here, but the reality is tensions are high on so many issues, right? like open up Facebook, turn on the TV, you'll see just like varying opinions, right? There's this general attitude that enough is enough. People have kind of had it. They're no longer going to take any sort of injustice. And so there's this general like feeling of we're no longer going to take it. And while that in some aspects, that's a very good thing. It does hinder really that movement towards forgiveness. In a day and age when everyone is an expert or an influencer or you you could look to anyone and they have an opinion and those opinions, the supply of it is way higher than the demand could ever be. It seems difficult and almost an oxymoron to have a culture of forgiveness. So I'm gonna present with you one thing today. This is kind of my main point, the title of my message. And I hope you guys agree that forgiveness is hard. There it is, forgiveness is hard. And even if we really think back to the good old days and you think, well, back in the day, it wasn't like this. People were just better to one another. People were kinder before social media, before the internet, before everyone had a voice. It just was a better time. But the reality is, is that forgiveness kind of rubs us the wrong way because it makes us put other people's needs above our own needs. And so that comes directly in contradiction to our own human nature. So I'm gonna say. It again forgiveness is hard turn to you guys already are there hopefully but we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5 you can read along I have about 10 verses so stay with me Matthew 5 38 I'll start you have heard and these are the words of Jesus that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say to you do not resist an evil person but whoever slaps you on the right cheek turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you you, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus here in these scriptures was really confronting some social norms and some things, some ideas, some ideologies that became very accepted in his culture in that day. They were accustomed not only to the culture, but what Jesus was talking about. And he was referring to some Old Testament scriptures when he sang an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and you shall love your neighbor. He was referring to commandments that had been given to them years and generations prior. Yet he was calling his people to kind of go beyond, to take the next step, go beyond the social norms, and instead to exemplify the perfect character of his heavenly father. I came across this article that I thought was very interesting. C.S. Lewis, I don't know if anyone's familiar with him, but he's the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, probably kind of like his biggest contribution, although he's um, written many great books and uh, was a British author and lay theologian. He said this, and I found this to be really thought-provoking. He said, as for caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. So let me tell you guys, you are off the hook today. If you feel as though you got to put on this facade, that being a Christian means everything is easy. Oh, no sweat off my back. This is the way I'm supposed to be. The reality is, is these things that the Lord is teaching us to do confronts our human nature, totally changes and charges us to go against the social norms and to go beyond that to reflect the character of God. So we're gonna delve in to forgiveness. I'm gonna focus on three truths this morning. The first one is this, forgiveness is hard, but it's what distinguishes a Christ follower from the rest of the world. In the first, we, first verse that we read in this passage, Jesus, as I said, is referring to a, um, a commandment that he gives in the book, or the Lord gives in the book of Leviticus. And what it was is they were handing down to the priests and the leaders of the Jews um, laws that would give them the ability and their adjudication between distinguishing what the right punishment was for a crime. You with me, right? He wanted to give them a level of fairness so that that way, when someone sinned or someone did something against you, that you would go to the priest, and they would say they would decide on a comparable compensation to the injury that was uh, that was given to that person, right? But unfortunately, and that's considered to be called lex talionis. That is the oldest law known to man: an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Who here has heard of that, even outside of the church? Probably more so outside of the church, right? It's kind of like this thing that people are like, well, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And it's turned into instead of a law to give people the ability to make things right and make things fair, it's turned into someone just taking it upon themselves for their own personal vengeance. And so it's kind of completely been flipped on his head. And so it really becomes people using this as an excuse for their own revenge and retaliation. You did something terrible to me, so I'm gonna do something terrible to you. It's only fair, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Right? That's how people have interpreted that. And so instead of it being something of fairness, there's now no soberness of mind, no rationality in the thinking of this, but instead it's a matter of just vengeance and retaliation. What was, a meant, what was meant to establish fairness and balance was instead abused and misused for the purpose of personal vengeance. And so Jesus presents something new to them. I'm gonna boil this down to four points, right? Where we just read in the book of Matthew that Jesus says, if someone does this, then you do this. I'm gonna boil this down and they're gonna come up here for you to see. The first one is... Drum roll, please. Okay, the first one is absorb insults. Number two, go without for the sake of others. Serve others willingly and love the unlovable. So he gives them these four things and he gives very specific examples, but ultimately if you boil them down, that's really what you're gonna get. Now each one of these, if you were to do these things, I'm gonna use this analogy that it's as though this is an example of someone that no longer has a chip on their shoulder because I'm going to equate sin to the burden of the chip on a shoulder, right? You've heard that adage before that person's got a chip on their shoulder. The reality is before we come to know Jesus, We're burdened. We're burdened by our own sin. And it's as though there's a chip, there's a brick, there's a a whole colony of bricks on our shoulders that are weighing us down because of the sin that we're carrying around, that shame, the guilt, and even that nature of habitually sinning. And what happens is, is when Jesus comes along, he eliminates, he removes, he alleviates that burden of of sin from our shoulders. And now all of a sudden we can stand up, we are free, we are liberated, we no longer are under that pressure, we're no longer under that burden. And so he gives us freedom, he gives us joy, and he gives us room. He gives us room, because now all of a sudden, if someone insults me, it doesn't feel like another brick is getting put on my already heavy back that I can't carry anymore. But instead, that brick doesn't feel the same way it did before, because I've been liberated by Jesus Christ, and now I can walk in freedom. And these four things that would have killed me before, I can now do with complete freedom, because what Jesus has accomplished in my life. Jesus uses another example of this. This is a little bit further along in his walk with the disciples. But he tells a story of a scandalous woman. This is some housewives of Israel stuff right here. Where Luke 7:47 he says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. Jesus is making the connection here between receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness. If you've received a lot of forgiveness, then you should have the capacity for that forgiveness to be flowing out of you. But if you didn't really need Jesus all that much, and meanwhile you just had a few things that you needed him to just clean up on your record, then you don't really have much to extend there. But how many of us can say that Jesus gave us the best version of a self-cleaning oven that we could ever ask for, that not only has he cleaned us of our past sins, but there's a perpetual power in the blood of Jesus that now from now into eternity until he returns, when we mess up, when we go the wrong way, when we, do whatever, that forgiveness is there, and it is continuous, it is flowing, it is available, it is new, it is good for us, and so we have the ability to walk in that. Amen? And so what the world needs, let me tell you this. That the reality is, is when someone does something to offend you and you have the ability to look at them with forgiveness of heart and the way it says it here, where you're able to forgive them in your heart, what that shows someone that does not know Jesus, that is evidence to them that God has done something real in your life. That it's not just something that you say because you're a Christian and this is what you're supposed to say. It's not something that you post on social media that particular day. Not that any of these things are bad, but the reality is, is people need to see that it's a work that's been done so deep in my heart that it doesn't matter what you can do to offend me, I can take it because the Lord has set me free and that means I am free to forgive you just the same. So let me remind you again that forgiveness is hard, but it is necessary if we want the world to see Jesus because they they will see what he has done for us and they will all of a sudden see that he could do it for them because that's what people want, right? It's something real that's really gonna make a difference in their life. Not just something that's convenient at times, not something that's circumstantial, but something that when you're all alone, it's the same. Something when you're going through the hardest trial of your life, it's the same. Something that when you're going through the greatest joy in your life, it's the same and that is the relation and the blessings that come through the blood of Jesus. So that's the first focus I want you to, or first fact I want you to focus on today. The second one is forgiveness is hard, but it's critical for our own personal freedom from sin. No one is more compassionate than our God. And some people can look at that and think, well, I don't know if that's true. There's a lot of bad things that happen. If you read in the Bible, there's a lot of terrible things that happen. But this year I made the decision that I was going to read for the first time the Bible chronologically. And so one thing that God has opened up my eyes to see is that no one has withstood more offense than him. He has given himself and wanted to just have connection, wanted to just have unity with his people. But meanwhile, every time he blinked, every time, Every other moment, people were pulling away from him, saying, you're not enough for us, we want something else. And yet he continuously gave them opportunities and chances to come back to him, to the point that he ended up giving the biggest sacrifice of all, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. So he's withstood it. He's been able to take the insults. He's been able to give us beyond what we deserved, but there is an expectation and that expectation is that we have to pay it forward. And you may be familiar with that catchphrase, pay it forward. There was a movie that came out, I think in the nineties that had that title. And so it became like this common um, just catchphrase, right? The idea of paying it forward. So let me give you a good example. Um, If you've ever gone to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or wherever you're from, wherever your coffee choice is, have you ever pulled up to the window with your money ready and then they're like, it's paid. You're all set, the person in front of you paid for you. So that's happened to me on a couple of occasions and I'm always like, yes, score, thank you, Lord. One time in particular, I remember I was pulling up and I was buying a coffee for me and someone else out of obligation. It wasn't like I really was just being generous. I, I owed someone a coffee. And so I thought to myself like, this literally is my last dollar. Like in my wallet, if I spend this, I don't have any more cash and so i was kind of begrudgingly getting this coffee and i got up to the window and the woman's like you're all set they paid for you and so i was like great put my money back in my wallet and was about to drive off and then i had the quick realization just as quick as i thought oh great this is a blessing for me i realized okay maria you know what the right thing to do is here so i was like i'll pay for the person behind me and the woman was like great, that's so awesome, you're the 30th car, and we've had this chain. And I thought, how terrible would that have been if I broke that chain? I was like, ooh, okay, this is like when you hope you don't have like a Christian bumper sticker on, right? Um, And I didn't, so, but I I followed through and I was like, okay, I, I felt like I had been given some grace to do that. Right, so this idea of paying it forward. There's another story that Jesus tells, and I'm not gonna read it just for the sake of time, but I'll just kind of give you the cliff notes on it. But Jesus tells another story to his disciples. And in this story, um, he tells of a slave. And he says of this slave, this slave owed his master a huge debt. And you get the idea that this is like no small thing, right? And so this master, out of making a compassionate decision, decides to forgive the debt of his slave. And so he says to him, you know what, don't worry about it, it's all set. We're clear, we're even, you don't owe me anything. So this slave goes on his way and he approaches another slave in the same economic position as him, no better, probably no worse, or maybe worse. And this second man owes him money. And so what he does is with physical force, he demands that this other person pay back to him the debt that is owed him, so much so that he has this man thrown in prison because he was not able to pay him his debt. Seems a little unfair, would you agree? So what happens is the people that were in, bore witness to this go back to the master and they say, I don't know if you've heard about what happened, but the guy that you let off the hook is now holding someone else in prison because they're not willing to pay him. So the master becomes enraged. He's thinking, who are you to do this? I'm in charge here. I gave you the, I gave you the out, and yet you're gonna hold someone accountable. Clearly, you did not get the message. And so he puts this man who he had previously forgiven into jail and even has him tortured until he can pay him the entire sum back. Bad move, buddy, right? Like this guy did not get it. And here's the real kicker. And this like CS Lewis should make us feel like we're being hit by a sledgehammer. Jesus says at the end of this parable, he says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart that's tough it's tough and it goes to show that forgiveness is necessary forgiveness is beyond necessary it is required for those of us who have received the forgiveness of god whether we like it or not we don't have an excuse or a reason to harbor resentment disdain or even a sense of entitlement towards anyone if we want to continue to live in the freedom from our own guilt and shame that Jesus offers. We have to be careful. I have to be careful because I've been caught in this trap. I'm not just here telling you about this. I can see the own my own areas in my life where I've kind of held on to that dislike that annoyance, that irritation with people, or that real unforgiveness for things that have been done or said against me. I have been there where I have held on to these things, not realizing that I'm doing exactly what this man did, receiving the forgiveness of God, wanting the forgiveness of God, praying for the forgiveness of God, but yet not willing to turn around and extend that same grace that God has given to me. It may be an acceptable, going back to the, the Sermon on the Mount here, uh, the second example that Jesus gave and that he pulls from the Old Testament, where he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The interesting thing about it is only love your neighbor is in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. It kind of evolved over time where people interpreted as love your neighbor, but you can hate your enemy. And so Jesus is like, it's interesting that he's even willing to put that out there. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And he says, but I'm gonna tell you, the real deal here is you have to love your enemy. We're not short of excuses when it comes to our own justifying of our sinful behavior. The attitudes we have towards people that we consider our enemies, or the people we just don't like. They rub us the wrong way, their personalities that we just don't like. We have, we judge the unbeliever. We take personal offense to things that people say about us, about even our faith. We're easily offended. We hate the media. We have all these things against, you know, I hate to be super political, but that it just seems to be like the climate of things, that it's okay to hate your political enemy. That's not in scripture. I don't see that anywhere. He's telling us instead that although it may be difficult it is necessary because our own development as believers, our own standing before God, if our hearts become so hardened to the people that we're interacting with that we're no longer conduits of God, meaning he can pour into us and we're pouring out into them, then that means that there's a blockage there and that blockage is also gonna bless those things coming from God. We wanna contain it and we wanna say, God, I wanna take from you, but I'm just not gonna give it to anybody else It does not work that way, he says. Instead, you have to be, it has to flow from you. You have to be willing to give that forgiveness out just as much as you're asking for it from me. If that doesn't speak enough to you, um, I thought this was interesting. So I read this article from like the medical and scientific powerhouse of the Mayo Clinic, and they said this. So from a total non-biblical Christian uh, spiritual sense, they put out this article and they said, if you are unforgiving, you might bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. You might become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You might become depressed or anxious. You might feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose or that you are at odds with your spiritual beliefs. And lastly, if you are unforgiving, you might lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. I'm gonna say it again, forgiveness is hard, but it is required for our own personal growth in the Lord. The last last fact I wanna focus on, the last truth I wanna focus on today is this. Forgiveness is hard, but no one has done it better or had it harder than Jesus. So the Jews, when Jesus comes on the scene, they had spent generations and generations waiting for a Messiah. They had constantly been under this threat of other uh, other governments having control over their nation. They had for a small period of time, in really the scheme of things, very small period of time when they were able to govern themselves, to live out their faith freely, and then they were constantly messing up, and so they were constantly being put under uh, subject to other governments. They were subject to the Egyptians, they were subject to to the Babylonians, to the Persians, now to the Romans. And so they wanted their Messiah to come and to set them free from all of the tyranny that they had experienced. And so they prayed and they waited, but I think, and what scripture shows, is what they really wanted was a zealot. And I don't know if you know what a zealot is, so I'll tell you. A zealot was, a, was this group of like fanatical Jews that with militant force, they felt that it was their job to free their people from any type of government, foreign nation that was governing over them. And so these zealots became so impassioned in their pursuit of this that eventually they became assassins. Kinda took it a little too far. And they ended up provoking war, war that killed tons and tons of people. So the Jews and that nation and the world may have wanted a zealot to set them free, but they did not get a zealot. What they got was a man who, according to Philippians said, was willing to become nothing for them. Nothing for the sake of opening up the eyes of the unbeliever and nothing for the sake of providing a way for each one of us to have fellowship with our heavenly father. He was willing to give everything up for us. First Peter chapter two, verse 21 and 23 says, "'For you have been called for this purpose "'since Christ also suffered for you, "'leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps.'" who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus had many, many an opportunity to express righteous indignation. And I've heard it a lot of times where people uh, will talk about the story in scripture where Jesus overturns the tables in the temple because he was so upset of what his father's house had been turned into. And so in that moment, that righteous indignation worked in him and he made a point. And so a lot of times, I think Christians hang on to that one story, but they forget That what Jesus did on a daily basis and what we see in scripture over and over and over is a pattern of compassion, of forgiveness, and trusting that God had a plan and that that plan was going to be carried out. There's a reason why righteous indignation is not listed in the list of the fruits of the spirit. But sometimes we wanna hold on to that one But instead, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what he is calling us to follow in his pattern as we live out our daily lives. So guys, let me say it again. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking what has been done to me is unforgivable or even just ignoring and pushing to the side and not taking a taking accountability for our responsibility as a believer we have to remember that the lord has put us here to be salt and light and if we are not operating in the pattern that he has left for us then we are not fulfilling the purpose that he has for us. He was able to do it all. In the list that I boiled down for you, he did all four of those things. He was able to absorb insults. He was able to go without for the sake of others. He served others willingly, and he even loved the unlovable. He did it better, and he had it harder than any one of us here. So in conclusion this morning, it's also today is Communion Sunday. So if you would take your cups with me, we're going to partake of this together. And this is another pattern that the Lord Jesus gave us before he left this earth. And communion is a time to refocus us, for us to kind of recenter on what the truth is, that Jesus paid a price for us, and that price was paid in full and that he's returning for his church. It helps us to just get back to the basics of Lord, what is this about? But he also tells us in doing this, it should be a time of reflection. Pastor Eric preached on this last week on the importance of reflection. When we take communion, it's a time where we we examine ourselves and say, Lord, do I have, am I, am I doing this in accordance with your spirit? Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? Am I denying the blessings that you're giving me because I'm choosing to put my own needs above yours and the needs of other people? So, this morning, as we take this communion, as we focus again on the sacrifice that Jesus so willingly paid for our own sins and our own redemption and salvation, let's examine ourselves and just. Open up to the Lord and say, Lord, if I have sinned against you, then Lord, would you help me to correct that? Would you give me the understanding? Would you point it out to me? Would you show me, Lord, where I have been unforgiving? Because we don't want to be people that are just faking it. We want to be people of substance. We wanna show that the Lord has done a work in us that cannot be replicated by anything else that this world has to offer, but it is sincere and it is real because that's how big of a price it was and what needed to happen. First Corinthians tells of when Jesus took this time of the Last Supper and shared communion with his disciples. Would you stand with me as we partake of this this morning? It says in 1 Corinthians 11:23, 23, the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you willingly gave your body for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you were willing to be on our behalf. We, Lord, we rejoice in receiving this communion today. Church, let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It goes on to say, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Just express your own thanks to him this morning, of what he was willing to do for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to pay that price for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I ask this morning as we close, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that you give us that opportunity day in and day out, Lord God, to just continuously come before you to offer a new surrender, Lord God, to offer ourselves again. Lord, we just ask God that you would give us the desire God, to fulfill what your purpose is for us. God, that we would be willing to put the needs of others before our own as difficult and as painful as that would be. But Lord God, may that be evidence of what you have done in our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, we thank you for this time that we could come and just receive your forgiveness to walk out of this place in complete freedom and joy. We thank you, Lord God, that that is ours today because of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, we praise your name and we lift up the name of Jesus as the song says, in this moment, in all of our days. Lord, we praise you. Let your name be praised. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. Head to Bethelcc.org to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel Christian Church.